Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Financial Independence Podcast, the podcast all about financial independence and early retirement. Uh, my wife, Jill, and I just got back from our three-month trip around the world, and uh, so we're back in Scotland, and I've been reunited with my podcasting microphone, so hopefully I'm sounding better than I have over the last few episodes. I've actually just been using my iPhone headphones and doing a lot of post-processing to make it sound good, so hopefully you couldn't tell too much, but uh, I, I'm back to normal now, at least. So um, Today, I'm excited to introduce my guest, which is my wife, Jill. Um, I've been wanting to get her on the show for quite a while now, and it's taken a lot of persuasion to get her on, uh, but she finally agreed, and uh, I'm excited to dive in and see you know, what life's been like on this crazy journey and find out how she actually feels about all the things that we've been doing and the direction our lives have gone. So without further delay, hey, Jill, thanks for being here. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so for people who don't know you, uh, maybe just tell a little bit about yourself before we dive in. Well, I'm Jill. I'm from Glasgow, Scotland. I'm an optometrist. I'm obviously married to the mad scientist. <laughs> Which you feel very good about, right? Yes, very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Jill wasn't too excited to actually do this. It's probably been a few months of me pestering her to to ask if she could do this. Uh, and Today she finally agreed. Um, so I'm excited to finally ask her everything I've always wanted to know that she won't tell me in, in real life. So um, so maybe uh, maybe just go back and talk a little bit how we met, maybe. Yeah, so it was almost exactly 14 years ago. Yep. Um, and we were both studying in Glasgow, and um, we had a mutual friend who introduced us at a, a Cayley, which is a traditional Scottish dance. Um and yeah, I guess we hit it off right away and we've been seeing each other ever since. So <laughs> so when did you realize that maybe I wasn't normal when it came to money? Uh, I think that was quite early on. <laughs> um, See, I thought I, I thought I played it cool because like our first date, I remember you like insisted that we split it, which I was real pumped about. Um, but did I insist and did I end up? paying or yeah i think at the beginning you were trying to you know be a gentleman and pay for everything um but i i didn't really care about that so i don't think that lasted too long probably convinced you we didn't need to do it like that and split everything <laughs> we've been splitting everything ever since so yeah that was uh that was uh you locked me in with that <laughs> i was used to the american style where the guy pays for everything all the time um so that was a nice treat um so so you think pretty early on you realized that i wasn't like everyone else, uh, at least when it came to finances? Yeah, I think when we started, probably when we started traveling together, which was fairly early on, um, not that you were being stingy or anything bad, but just that, yeah, you were maybe a bit more frugal than I was used to. <laughs> and I was even more frugal than you knew of. Um, this is probably a low point in my in my life as far as uh, financial frugality is concerned. Um after my study abroad period ended, I had to move back to America for my senior year of college. And uh, we were apart for that whole year, but we stayed together. So you came to visit me once. I came to visit you in Scotland once. And then we met in neutral Switzerland once. Um, so that seemed like a good idea because I was able to find cheap flights to Switzerland for some reason. Um, but we didn't realize that how expensive Switzerland actually was until we got there. So I was a broke student, you were a broke student, um, and we went out, I think it was probably the first day that I got to Switzerland, right? 
Probably. And I think it was like the first dinner and we decided to go get some fondue. Um, and we had planned to split a fondue because who, who needs a big pot of cheese each? But this fancy restaurant we were in didn't let us. And then we tried to get tap water and they didn't let us. And I was freaking out and I was trying to play it cool like I wasn't. Um, but I was super thirsty and I kept disappearing a lot during the meal. And I went down into the men's room and just stuck my head under the spigot um, and drank a lot of water, which I didn't end up telling you about until probably years years, years later, I think. <laughs> um so that was a definite low point in, uh, in me being cheap. Um, but um, but besides that, hopefully it hasn't impacted your life too much, at least in those early years. No, it hasn't impacted my life hardly at all because we just kept all our money separate. Um, so. And how did talk about how that came about? Because for us it was natural, but a lot of people I think maybe struggle with either proposing that or getting to that point. So can you talk a little bit about how, how that came about for us? Yeah, it just seemed it just seemed very natural for us. I don't think it was ever a big discussion um when we when you moved over to Scotland and we bought our first house, um we just decided to have one joint account that paid for all the bills and the mortgage and everything and then keep our separate accounts that was just our own personal money that we could do what we want with. We weren't earning exactly the same money at that point. Um, and you were kind enough to offer, like you were actually earning quite a bit more than me at that point. Um, and you were kind enough to offer to, you know, put, put a proportional amount into the joint account. Um, but then I insisted that we just do it 50, 50, um, cause I figured eventually we'd earn similar amount of money. Um, but yeah, thanks for that offer. <laughs> so yeah, it just made sense because we we knew at that early stage that I definitely like to spend a lot more money than you did. So it just seemed like an easy way to prevent arguments was keeping our money separate. I could do what I want with my money and you could do what you want and everyone was happy. And I don't remember it being a big discussion or a big decision. It was just the kind of natural thing for us as a couple to do. Yeah, and I think since we we also, a lot of our relationship has been or not a lot, but a, a fair amount of our relationship has been spent on separate continents sometimes. You know, sometimes I have to stay in the States and apply for a visa or go back to college for my senior year and things like that. So I think being separate part of the time then made, you know, separate accounts make even more sense. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Just kept everything easier. So do you think it was a good way to go about it? Like I talked to a lot of people and some people have actually even said to me like, Oh, if you don't merge your finances, then your marriage is doomed and all these sorts of things. Um, do you think it's worked out well? Yeah, I think our marriage would have been doomed if we <laughs> if we had a, everything in a joint account. I think that would have caused a lot more <laughs> arguments. Yeah, that is definitely confirmed. I think <laughs> that would have uh, been a disaster. But um, but yeah, so you would recommend it to other couples potentially? Yeah, I think everybody just has to work out what works for them. Some people feel a lot more comfortable keeping everything joint and feeling like they're doing everything as a couple, and I think that's fine. But if you're really not on the same page when it comes to spending money, then I don't think there's any reason not to just keep yeah keep your finances separate, and then it just avoids that whole issue. Yeah, definitely. So were you always a spender? Because um, definitely when I met you, you were a quite a big spender. Um, was that always the case? Yes, ever since I had my own money and <laughs> just um, couldn't wait to spend it on anything. Um, I've always been very easily influenced by advertising. So as a kid, it was like I wanted all the the latest and greatest things. If I had pocket money, I would be just spending it immediately. Um, and I don't think that's anything to do with my upbringing. My older sister was 
you know, a saver. She was very into saving her money, um, but I just couldn't wait to spend it. And I was always like that. And as a teenager, I remember just every weekend was going into Glasgow with friends and just finding things to spend money on. I never saved any of my money. So, And yeah, your parents are also good savers too. So it definitely doesn't seem like it was from your upbringing. And your your comment about advertising is still something that we sometimes struggle with to this day. You insist on the brand name thing, even though it's probably made in the same exact factory as the as the generic one. Um, but why, why do you think that is? I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I've just, yeah, always been very susceptible to, to any kind of, yeah, just advertising affects me. <laughs> but you're, uh, you're completely different now. Um, so it's, been like a complete 180 um over the last five or so years ever since actually i started the mad scientist i would say so what do you think uh, has changed over these years um it was all basically a conversation that we had um that sort of shifted my whole mindset um it was i think on our honeymoon we had a conversation where you said to me you know what what would be your perfect life describe what if you could design your life any way you want, then, you know, what would it be like? So we had this big conversation um, because that's, I found that actually quite a hard question. It's not like the, what would you do if you won the lottery? It's more of a sort of realistic version of that where you don't have just unlimited money to do whatever you want. Um, So we talked about that a lot and we both were in agreement about what our sort of priorities were and what we would like to spend more time doing, um, spending time with friends and family and traveling and, um, you know, volunteering and all those kind of things. So when we talked about that and then we talked about how well it would be possible to do more of that stuff if we weren't having to work full time um, and it just really kind of opened my eyes to the the benefits of financial independence because I think when you started out on this journey I wasn't I didn't have the same motivation that you did for achieving financial independence so it didn't really appeal to me um, but when we talked about what our life could look like if we weren't having to work full-time then that was really appealing to me so as soon as I had that big goal um, it was just a side effect of that was that I didn't want to really buy things anymore I suddenly realized how silly it is just to be buying stuff for the sake of it wasting money on things when you could be putting your money to a lot more use um so it was just a really easy and a kind of overnight transition <laughs> yeah it was crazy um you have a one and only post on my site called an unexpected guest post which i'll link to in the show notes um that was just a letter that you had written to me on your computer one night um or i don't even know when you wrote it but you you uh, went up to bed one night and as you were going up to bed, you said, Hey, look on my computer. There's something I want you to read. Um, and it was, it was incredible. And I luckily after months of persuasion got you to let me, you know, post it on Matt Fientist. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a great insight into like someone who flips the switch. And it was, it was a complete 180 overnight pretty much. And it, uh, you've changed ever since. And, um, and I think I made the mistake when I stumbled upon this early retirement thing. Um, I immediately put you <laughs> to early retirement extreme because that was the first I, I realized this was all possible. And Jacob, I think at the time, was living on like $7,000 than living in a, a mobile home and doing all these things that had no appeal to you whatsoever. Um, but I was just so pumped that, hey, I didn't have to work for a boss for the rest of my life. I could do my own thing. 
Um, whereas you love your job, you're an optometrist and you love it and you still love it and you don't expect to not be doing it, right? Yeah, I I really enjoy my job. I feel like I'm always learning new things. So as long as it continues to be sort of challenging and fulfilling, I definitely want to keep doing it. So when you talked about, oh, you know, if we save up this much money and we don't really spend any money, then we don't have to work. And I was like, well, that just doesn't make any sense to me because I want to work. So um, I figure if I'm working anyway, I have the money, then I might as well spend it. So your motivation definitely did not motivate me to to sort of follow down the same path at the beginning. So a lot of people email me and ask like, hey, my wife or my husband's not on board. They don't care. They don't want to do this. And, you know, they're completely different. How do I, how do I bring them around? Um, what advice would you give? Because I think had I tried to persuade you or bring you around to my way of thinking, you would have rejected it and went the opposite way, probably just to spite me maybe. So <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I think if you'd really pushed, just pushed your vision of FI on me, then it would have, yeah, kind of made me go the other way probably. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just about figuring out for each person what what is the thing that motivates them. Everybody's going to have a different thing. Um, and that's been one of the really cool things about meeting so many people through the blog and chatting to different people because everybody's journey is different and everybody's motivation is different. Um, So that's been really interesting. So I think just sitting down and having the conversation about if you could have any life you wanted, then what would it be? And then you can sort of work backwards from that to say, well, how do we get there? And is work a part of that? Or does that sort of get in the way of what you want to do? Um, And just figure it out that way. Um, Because like I said, I think if if one person has a really strong vision of what the reason they're pursuing FI, um, that's not necessarily going to mean anything to their spouse um, and just trying to drill that into them or giving them lots of, you know, numbers and calculations, you know, explaining exactly why it will work or why it's a good idea. For some people, that's just not going (laughs) to be appealing either. So yeah, I think just sitting down with that person and figuring out what what their motivation would be and for me as soon as I had that motivation then like I said everything else just kind of fell away I just didn't want to buy things anymore I didn't want to spend money anymore and I think you kind of have to to do it that way because if I'd if Brandon had persuaded me to cut back my spending by a lot um, when I still wanted to buy things and it just would have felt like deprivation and I wouldn't have been happy and it would have been really hard to motivate myself to do that whereas once I was able to just get rid of that urge to spend money and I didn't want to anymore, then I've just become a lot happier. Um, not wanting things, not wanting stuff all the time. Um, it's just creates this nice, simple life, which is a lot happier and easier. And then the side effect is you're, you're saving money, which is nice. Yeah, definitely. And the thing that I've found is you want less and that becomes natural and then it feels like you can have everything you want um because because you want less and you have the funds to buy those like few things that you do really want so then it just feels like the world's yours you could buy and do whatever you want and it's actually not that much money as have you found that as well yeah definitely um yeah i think that we we've got to a point where we do feel like we could, you know, we're in a position where we could buy things or spend more money than we're spending, but neither of us wants to. Um, 
And it just, yeah, it feels really nice. We're both a lot happier, I would say. I know it's three days before Christmas and we just talked yesterday because uh, we just finished a big three-month trip around the world and neither of us had done any Christmas shopping or anything. And we're, we just agreed that we're not going to buy any presents for each other because there's literally nothing either of us can think of that we want. Is that true? Yeah. And it's the first year we've actually done this. Usually we'll buy each other's small gifts. We don't spend a lot of money on each other, but we'll buy each other small gifts. But it just gets to the point where it's just a, a stressful thing in the lead up to Christmas, trying to think of something, especially for Brandon. He literally doesn't want anything. So trying to think of something that he'll like is is hard. Um and we're just spending money for the sake of it, basically. So this year we finally said, all right, let's just skip the the Christmas presents. If there was something I think that either of us really wanted, then um, we would probably get it for each other. But on the years that we, like this year, where we neither of us want anything, um, then yeah, we'll just skip it and it's fine. So you mentioned The Perfect Life and there's an article on my site called The Perfect Life where I sort of describe, you know, that whole thing that we went through back in the day um and i'll link to it in the show notes but um maybe for listeners out there who are running or in the car and won't be able to check out that post uh, can you just describe a little bit about how that process went and what we sort of what conclusions we came to yeah well we um when we sat down to, to discuss it like i said i think we both our priorities were pretty much the same which was nice it made it a kind of easy conversation um so we just sort of listed things in order of priority um I can't remember exactly. It was like, you know, time with friends and family, I think was at the top of the list. Um, and then maybe traveling, volunteering for you, sort of starting your own business ideas and things like that. We had this list of things. And then we sat down and tried to figure out how we could work that into a sort of realistic plan that would work. So what we came up with um, at the beginning was, well, it's, it's, it's awkward for us because we have, you know, my family's all in Scotland and Brandon's family's all in the States. So it's hard to split your time evenly between that. So we had decided that we would kind of spend, I think it was originally six months in Scotland um, for me working and seeing my friends and family. And then we would do three months in the state in the States where I wouldn't be working. We could just spend that time traveling around and seeing people and then three months traveling anywhere else in the world. Um, and that was the plan that got me really excited because at that point we were living in the States. Um, so it just seemed like an improvement in all aspects of our lives because I would get a lot more time with my family and friends. And we'd actually spend a lot more time with Brandon's um, family and friends as well because they're so spread out that it was difficult to see them for a lot when we were both working there. Um, and then we'd be traveling a lot more. So it, it was a really exciting plan for both of us. Um but I guess we've been kind of trying it out a little bit. We've been doing sort of uh, a tester run and probably changed our minds a bit on what, what that plan looks like. Yeah, definitely. So it's a, it's amazing how hard it is to figure out what you actually want in life. Um, and I think there is a lot of trial and error, error needed to, to figure that out. So yeah, last year we went on a three-month trip around uh, Southeast Asia and I think both of us found three months to be a bit too much. Uh, do you agree? Yeah, I think three months is probably our limit. I know other people can travel, you know, full time or travel a lot more than that. But I think for us, we definitely realize that that's about the, the maximum that it continues to be fun for us. And then it starts feeling too much like normal life and 
you start focusing more on the stressful parts of it and things. Yeah. And I like, I love getting things done and there's so many things I want to do for Mad Scientist and for other projects I'm working on. Um, and I just find that I can't get stuff done on the road. Um, if you've emailed me, emailed me in the last three months, you know, I've probably not replied. Um, and I'm hoping to get through that backlog, but, um, it's just, there's not a lot of time on when you're traveling. Cause you're either looking into hotels and places to eat all the time or trying to figure out what you're going to do and go next. Um, so yeah, if I, I find that I can't get a lot done. So yeah, I think three months is max. And we also spent a lot of time in the States, or at least I did last year because I was dealing with visa things in 2015. Um, and I spent a lot of time seeing friends and family. And we realized that three months is doing that is too much too, because, you know, it's great seeing people, but you don't want to feel like you're imposing when you're coming and being like, Hey, I'm going to stay for a month. And it's like, well, no, you know, they got their own lives that they're doing and you don't want to impose on that. So I think, I think we agreed that three months in the States was even too long, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> when we thought of that part of the plan, we we're like, yeah, we can just go stay with all these different people and it'll be fun. And then you go and stay with people for like a week or two and then you realize, oh, well, that's definitely long enough to yeah, impose in somebody's life. You can't just move in for <laughs> extended periods. Um, so, so th have there been any other ways that we've sort of morphed the plan? What do, where do you think we're at now? I think, I think we both probably should sit down and try to figure out a perfect life version 2.0. Um, but what do you, what do you think? Where's it gone and what conclusions have you reached in that time since we did version one? Uh, just that, yeah, we probably want to limit our travel to, periods of time where we we're both still excited about it and it's fun and not not be on the road for too long we also realized that when we're doing the traveling it's more fun to kind of base that around people rather than places so in the future when we're doing that we can um plan to go places where we either have friends or family there or we can meet up with people or travel with people because that kind of makes it uh more rewarding than just picking a place to go and see for the sake of it so I think we'll do more of that in the future um and yeah I don't know I think it's I don't think we're ever going to settle on a perfect plan I think we're just going to keep tweaking it and keep experimenting and it'll just change as we get older um uh, it's really hard to know what you're going to want in five ten years time and plan all that out so I think we just sort of plan out the next couple of years which at the moment is looking like being a lot more based in Scotland um do that and try out different things and yeah just keep tweaking the plan I think I don't think you ever get to a point where it's perfect <laughs> yeah no I, I completely agree and I think that's a a great reason why you shouldn't you know lock yourself into something like I don't before you go out and buy a 40-foot RV and sell your house and sell all your stuff maybe you know, rent an RV and do a one month trip and test it out and things like that, because, you know, things are a lot different in actuality than they are in the planning stages. So, um, and like Jill said, you know, if you, something you like right now may not be the same thing you'll like in a year or two years time. So just keep experimenting and tweaking. And yeah, I think that's definitely what we're going to, we're going to be doing. Um, so as you said, you love your job and you don't plan on quitting, but you've actually, you know, used the power that all this savings provides, um, just recently. So, um, maybe talk a little bit about how you <laughs> negotiated to take three months off over the last three months so that we could take a trip all the way around the world. Yeah. Well, when we were planning the trip, um, 
I just kind of assumed I'd have to quit my job. I didn't think getting unpaid leave was even going to be an option. Um, so I went back and forth and I wasn't even going to do the trip because I was worrying about losing the job that I like. And then I thought, well, that's silly. You know, this is a big, um, a big adventure that I don't want to miss out on. So I can always find another job that I like. So I'd kind of got myself into the mindset that I was going to w- walk away from the job anyway. Um, and then I decided to, well, if I was prepared to quit, then, you know, you might as well just ask for what you want anyway and see if it, if it happens. So uh, I kind of went to my boss and, well, in the past, I think what I would have done is sort of gone in groveling and saying, this is what I'm asking for. Please can, you know, can you make this happen? And is there anything I can do to to persuade you and all this kind of thing? Um, and Brandon had said to me, no, you just need to go in and don't ask, just kind of tell them that we're going on a trip and this is what's happening. So um, that's not really in my personality to be like that. So I was really nervous about having the conversation with my boss, but um, I was able to approach her in a sort of non-confrontational way, but say to her, you know, we're planning to do this trip um, and the options are either I can come back afterwards and take the unpaid leave or I can just hand in my notice. And I gave them a lot of, of notice as well. Um, that the, I think I spoke to her three months before it was going to happen. So um, I said, you know, the other option is if that's not okay with you, then I'll just hand in my notice. So, um, and actually my work were really great about it and said, well, we'd like you to come back. So you can have the unpaid leave and we'll figure it all out so that you can come back again at the end of it. So that was um, a really nice surprise to me to see how easy those negotiations can be. One, when you're prepared that, okay, worst case scenario, they don't give me what I want and I just walk away and accept that. Um, and to that, yeah, people, I think if you're if you're good at your job and you're valuable, then um, people will do more than you expect to keep you there. Um, so that was a nice surprise and a good lesson for me that once you have that power that you don't need that job, you know, you're not terrified to lose a job, then it, it does give you a lot of power and you can just kind of ask for what you want, see what happens. So I think I'll definitely be doing that more in the future as well. Yeah, that's great. Um, there's also, I read an article about this a few years ago called The Power of Quitting and I'll put that in the show notes too because that's one of, one, of, one of my favorite articles because I think people don't utilize the power that they're getting from all the money they have until, you know, they're ready to quit. But, uh, it'd be, if you use that power, you know, even before you're ready to quit and you can work yourself into a even better work situation and negotiate all sorts of things. So, uh, I think that's a, a great, uh, lesson to, to learn. Um, and I wish I had learned it before I was walking away from my job cause I could have made my career a lot more enjoyable probably. Um, so you, speaking of that big adventure we just got back from, um, I always feel like I'm dragging you on these things around the world and I come up with these big crazy plans and then I book them and then we sort of freak out that <laughs> we have all this stuff to do and all, you know, all these places to go. So, um, how was the, how was the big adventure? It was amazing. It was, I enjoyed it even more than the first time we did it. Cause the first time uh, you probably were dragging me along a little bit, which sounds crazy because who would complain about going, you know, traveling in Southeast Asia for a couple of months. But at that time, I don't know, it, it seemed like too long, 
to be traveling and I wasn't that excited and I, I did really enjoy it the first time so this time around um, I kind of knew what I was getting myself into and knew what to expect but it just exceeded all expectations this time it's been amazing and um, it's been kind of trip of a lifetime so yeah really enjoyed it. So do you have any advice for other people out there with crazy spouses that you know do these sorts of you know big scary things? Uh, probably try it in a kind of smaller version first maybe <laughs> maybe if we'd done like you know a month or something traveling just to try it out and see what that was like um then I would have been more more up for that the first time because it, I don't know just yeah break it down into like a, a smaller version of your big adventure try it out and see how it goes and then <laughs> yeah, that's good and you're a perfect uh you know partner to be doing this stuff with because i think last year when we did our 2015 big trip i wanted to do at least like six months or something and you i think yeah i wanted to do a max of a month and then we settled on three and three was even too long for me so you uh you definitely reined me in to a point where i i still enjoy it as well so <laughs> good <laughs> um so since i've been the mad scientist since 2012 you've <laughs> your life's been a little bit ridiculous with you know, going to events and meeting people and reading a bunch of tax heavy documents and proofreading a bunch of boring numbers and things. So, um, what's it been like? Like you just came back, we just went to the Chautauqua in Ecuador and that was your first big event, big financial independence event. Um, you've joined me at FinCons, which is like a blogger conference and you've been to a couple of those. Um, so What's that been like and have you noticed anything when meeting other people on this path? Uh, yeah, it's been a really weird journey since you said you were going to start doing a blog because I remember when you told me I laughed at you <laughs> and <laughs> I think um, Mrs. 1500 has talked about this as well that we both kind of said, well, I don't know what you're going to talk about. You're going to run out of stuff to talk about. This seems like a bad idea. <laughs> Try to talk you out of it. And I never imagined that it would have... Um, brought all this amazing stuff into our lives and all the amazing people that we've met so um yeah going to the big events is really cool because just that's been my favorite part of this whole thing is just all the people that we've been able to meet through the blog and um, everybody's so interesting and smart and like say everybody has a very different story so it it motivates you that you know when you hear all these different things that people are doing or planning to do um and it just kind of reassures you that you're not crazy um and yeah the Chautauqua was uh, again that just exceeded expectations that was really fun and um the same just meeting amazing people and having interesting conversations and just come away from it really motivated to to change your life for the better so yeah it's been great so and then let's talk a little bit about just regular life. So we're in our mid-30s. We've just been living out of a backpack for three months. We have one tiny little European car. We're currently homeless. We're going to rent a Airbnb for a month in Edinburgh next month. Um, we don't do anything that most of our friends do. We have this <laughs> really weird lifestyle um, that you probably didn't expect when you were uh, graduating from university. Um, so what are your thoughts on it? And uh, would you change anything? No, I would not change it. <laughs> it's definitely not what I imagined I would be doing when I was in my mid-30s, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but when I think about 
the life that I thought I would be living right now, then I'm so happy we're doing what we're doing because um, it's just, it's exciting and it's adventurous and we never know where we're going to be living, you know, in a year's time. Um, and I really like that. I used to, I used to think that I wanted to just be settled down, you know, buy a house and sort of know what life was going to be like. But then you realize, well, you can't even, even if you plan out your whole life and you think you're in control of what's going on, you're really not because you just don't know what's going to happen. So now I kind of really thrive on the fact that, you know, we really, we don't plan very far ahead. We never know what we're going to be doing. Um, and it's exciting. I really like that. I like not, not knowing that, okay, this is the house I'm going to live in for the next 20 years. And this is the job I'm going to be doing for the next 20 years. Um, it's just all kind of, we take it as it comes and it's, I love it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so since I got you in the hot seat, uh, figure I ask you a couple personal questions. Um, what, what, what about me annoys you most? <laughs> oh, eh, I think you're, uh, procrastination and not being able to just yeah sometimes it just stresses me out when you're trying to plan something or especially pay for something that it takes such a long time and then the fact that you can't just let things go like if you've already spent months to find the perfect flight and then you book that flight and then you'll be on the next day checking to see if there's a better flight even though we might even so yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's uh, i need to stop doing that it's uh, i waste too much time on things like that um okay uh, i can't think of any more rapid fire questions so um so i usually end all my interviews with uh what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone pursuing phi uh, well, I suppose my advice would be specifically for the couples that, you know, where somebody's all excited about Fi and the other person's not on board. Um, just what we talked about earlier, that just try and have the conversation, find out what their motivation is, what they want out of life and and then try and work backwards from there to to plan it all out and get them on board. Um, yeah, I guess that's uh, the main thing. Well, great. Well, I, I appreciate you doing this. I know that you didn't want to and you were freaking out a little bit about it, but um, uh, I usually also ask how people can get in touch, but um, I think the best way to get in touch with you is just to come hang out at in-person events and you can chat to Jill. I don't think she, she doesn't have a mad scientist email and I don't think she wants to share a personal email or anything because uh, you're not too interested in writing lots of emails, are you? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, um, maybe just... Uh, come to Scotland, come to Scotland and we'll be happy to host you and show you around. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the best idea. That's, uh, yeah, come to Edinburgh, we'll, we'll show you around and have a few beers and, uh, or otherwise come to one of the, uh, the events that we attend, like the Chautauqua or Camp Mustache and things like that. Um, so yeah, thank you for being here. How was it? Weird. I'm not... <laughs> not really in the habit of being interviewed so being interviewed by my husband is strange but <laughs> it wasn't so bad <laughs> oh i appreciate it so since this is probably the only chance i'm going to get to do this i'm going to end this interview with a kiss <laughs> all right thanks for being here uh all right bye finance <laughs> finance